Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing. Joining me today is an awesome guest, Jay Harrington. This is the first time that Jay and I have ever talked. Uh, I don't even want to say in person. I've talked to each other through a screen as opposed to going back and forth on LinkedIn. So obviously, um, Jay's going to be sharing some tips on LinkedIn as well as thought leadership marketing. For those of you that don't know Jay, one, uh, pause this. Well, I guess if you're live, you can't pause it. If you're watching this not live, pause it. Go over to LinkedIn, follow Jay. He posts some fantastic stuff that I look forward to reading every morning and then play the rest of this. So a little bit about Jay. Went to college to play baseball, went to law school because, and this is how you know he's uh, that honest guy. He went to law school because he's not sure. So chose the law firm job with the highest salary. I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of our listeners, watchers, but then finally figured things out and went to work for himself 15 years ago. Jay provides marketing and PR services for law firms and also coaching and training. Uh, what's most unique about him is that they do something that I am sort of envious of, but can definitely say is absolutely what is needed by so many clients. So combining that marketing and business development strategy with training and coaching. So not just the what to do, but the how to do it and the follow-up coaching that is just such a, a wonderful and sought after thing to combine the know-how with the no-do, with the follow-through, with the accountability. So Jay, thank you so much for being here. Jordan, it's awesome to be here. It's, like you said, it's great to be able to, at least even though it's through a screen, we were able to talk in person as opposed to just typing into LinkedIn and commenting back and forth. So good to meet you and good to be here. Wonderful. So for everybody who enjoys this show, when you're done with this episode, kick back to the last episode, which aired on Monday with Victor Medina, where we talked about the benefits of coaching for an attorney from that perspective. So Jay, we're going to dive right into it here. What is thought leadership? So yeah, I mean, especially contextualizing it for the legal community here, but it's basically a way to position yourself as an expert through the content you create. So thought leadership is a term that sort of is nebulous in a sense, but to me, it's basically someone who has expertise is, is able to look out into the future and sort of chart a course for others through their content. So it's not just recycling, you know, the same old information that everyone else is doing, but it's having a unique point of view based on um, a significant expertise in a subject matter. So, it, and then taking that expertise and translating it into content that can appeal to an audience. So it's basically could be video content, audio content, written content, um, public speaking, whatever the case might be, it's the ability to articulate ideas. And for, for most lawyers, what the idea is, is to provide helpful information that positions you as a trusted advisor to prospective clients such that they think of you when opportunities arise that relate to your area of expertise. So that's it in a nutshell. So to break that down into the like dictionary thing. So when we're talking about thought leadership, so in essence, like you are the leader of this idea, you are the beginning, one of the first to put this forward, one of the first to go after this, or does that not have to be there? I mean, you don't, you certainly don't have to be first in the sense that you're the only one talking about these ideas. Um, oftentimes, you know, there, I'm, I'm of the belief that many have stated before that there are no truly original ideas anymore, right? It's more taking ideas that might already be in existence from different domains, whatever, spotting patterns, matching patterns, um, and being able to contextualize that information for your particular audience. So it's not about necessarily having truly original ideas. 
It's about how to apply those ideas for the audience that you're trying to serve through your content and ultimately through your legal services. It reminds me of uh, George Carlin had the line about, you know, I can't write anything in my own words because if I did, you wouldn't, you would not understand it. So yeah, exactly. So can you give us, I mean, obviously I think thought leadership seems like it's so far in the moment. So like, can you give us a couple examples of people that were thought leaders, you know, on a topic two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, so that we have an idea of what we're looking for going forward? I mean, sure. I, you know, you think about someone, and this is someone who both was a thought leader and then put those ideas into action, but certainly someone like Elon Musk, to use a very famous example, would, was someone who, you know, back in 2003, sort of looked forward and saw what was coming in terms of, you know, the carbon emissions issues and transportation and, and the ability to bring electric vehicles to the marketplace. And, and he translated that vision in a way that resonated with the marketplace. And then he built a company on top of it. Um, but his ability to tell a compelling story through his thought leadership is what's largely responsible for a, I don't know what Tesla's revenue it is, but it's a fraction of its market value, right? They don't sell nearly as many cars as the rest of the industry, but his ability to tell a compelling story around the ideas that he's passionate about and that Tesla is sort of based upon has resulted in, you know, a, almost a billion dollar company right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, almost a trillion dollar company, I should say. Um, so that's one That's one good example. I mean, Warren Buffett, I think, is someone everyone can sort of resonate uh, with the idea of, of being a thought leader where he um, has been able to articulate ideas around investing that have, you know, sort of been the, the standard bearer of that marketplace for decades now. And he's always sort of seen as someone of great wisdom in order who, who should be listened to in that marketplace. Um, so th these are examples of very high profile ones of people who have kind of owned certain ideas, um, have articulated them clearly and consistently over a period of time and have reaped tremendous results um, as, a, as a consequence of that thought leadership. So it almost seems like it's like that forward thinking futurist personal brand type intersection. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, and I and I you know I hesitate to use names of luminaries like Elon Musk and Warren Buffett because sometimes it can make this seem inaccessible to to us mere mortals. Um, I just wanted to use examples that maybe everyone could be familiar with, but. Thought leadership doesn't need to be, again, back to this idea that it's it's truly original ideas. It really is about understanding what matters to your very small niche audience that you're trying to address and how can you bring new ideas to the forefront for, for that audience. And when I say new, it might just, you know, new is is also relevant, it's practical, and it's and it's communicated in a language that other people can understand. So it's not you know, it's not academic, it's not highly technical, it's very practical communication style that I think everyone can adopt. So it sounds like, I mean, in essence, from that perspective, I mean, a lawyer who comes up with some interesting idea or something that helps their clients maybe get their license back faster after a DUI, something along those lines, I mean, that might be thought leadership in that right community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, someone who, yes, um, th certainly there's probably thought leaders in that very space that you're talking about, um, lawyers who help people get their licenses back um, after a DUI, who, 
who probably have all kinds of great tips about how to avoid that circumstance in the first place, right? How do you how do you avoid losing your license in the first place, even if you get pulled over? Um, that that person, if they're consistently creating content around that topic, is probably a thought leader in that space. Um, and and it's a, the ability to take your practical knowledge and translate that into actionable actionable advice for your audience that that can make you a thought leader again in these narrow niches that lawyers tend to uh, compete within. So how how narrow of a niche are we talking about? I mean, like criminal law, DUI law, the specific driver's license issue. I mean, is that is there the ability to be a thought leader in all of those, or is it really the the nicher, the easier, not the not the broader, the unable? Yeah, so it's it's more. I, I always say it's the narrower the better. I mean, you have to understand what your marketplace is that you're trying to um, address. Is it big enough to to make sense to target that niche and and create content for that niche? If you can check that box, then I'd say you know, be very narrow in your focus. Because that's what it's a that's what's going to allow you to go very deep with your content, and that's what thought leadership is all about. It's about moving past sort of the surface level insights that that many other people might be sharing in their content, and going much deeper. And again, contextualizing these issues in a way that others can't because they're scattered over too many different areas, and they're not able to spot those spot those patterns and connect those dots in the way that someone who's very focused in a in a narrow niche would be able to. So it's it's oil drilling. I mean, we're we're a foot wide, a mile deep, as opposed to just being on the surface. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the whole point. I and and one of the things I think uh, with that approach that sometimes is a stumbling block block for people when they're first getting started creating content is thinking that well, I'm not going to possibly have enough things to say or ideas to share if I'm being very narrow with my approach to content. But in my experiences, and I think the experience of most people is that the the narrower you are and the deeper you go, the more ideas that you'll have because you'll be you'll be spotting ideas everywhere. Because again, it's not about it's not about like coming up with new ideas yourself. It's about bringing ideas that you're seeing elsewhere into your narrow niche, and your subconscious mind will start working on that problem in the back of your head. Um, when you're focused on one thing as opposed to many, and your and your brain is sort of scattered, um, you'll have insights that you that wouldn't be possible for the generalist to have necessarily. The generalist, as it relates to creating content, who just is you know doesn't have any real particular focus that they're they're drilling down on a on a consistent basis. Well, I think that kind of works in both directions because, like, on the one hand, you know, it's the if your client is everybody, you're never going to be top of mind with anybody because you're it's too broad. And on the other hand, the more specific you are with this content, almost the more interested everybody is in it. Like I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine a normal person going on somebody's LinkedIn and being interested in a specific form with the IRS. But if you're the go-to tax attorney, then maybe you've got the following that needs to know the difference between a 1040 and a 1020S and a 1099. And I don't even know if any of the numbers I threw out there actually linked together. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, but you have a more engaged audience as well by niching that thought leadership, I would think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about all of our, uh, most of our content consumption habits, they're all centered around, you know, finding, the, they're finding, you know, one person or a couple people that they want to follow for, for particular topics that relate to your interests or your needs or whatever the case might be. So what you're, what you want to be able to do is to define yourself by your expertise as one of the people worth listening to in that narrow space. If you're, you know, if you're otherwise famous, you know, you think about 
starting a podcast, for example, if you're famous, yeah, you might be able to cultivate an audience. But if you're not, like the most of us, you need to be really drilling down on one specific topic that's going to appeal to a certain audience such that they perceive you as an expert in that space or someone who's interesting in that space worth listening to, as opposed to someone who's trying to cover the gamut of you know, pop culture, media, government, policy, all these different topics we could be talking about. But if we're talking about all those things, we probably wouldn't have anything that was all that interesting to say about them. Well, but look, I mean, you know, it's interesting you use the famous word because like, I'm sure that there are hundreds of people that would see this and be like, oh my God, it's Jay Harrington. Like Jay speaking, <laughs> you know, you're, you've written how many books? Uh, three, number four is on the way in a couple of weeks. So four is on the way. And that was the uh, productivity pivot? Uh, no, productivity pivots out. Uh, this, oh. next, this next one's called the outlaw writer. The outlaw. All right. So I was, I wasn't that far off. Yeah, you were close. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, like, but that's the thing is, you know, you may, you know, I don't, I don't think people stop you down the street, but like in a situation like this, there are people that are, you know, more interested in hearing you speak than, than, than me, than anybody else. So you have also the ability to sort of build that following and build that uh, famousness inside that niche as well. Yeah, well, uh, you're, you're overstating it for sure, Jordan, to, to associate the word fame with me in any capacity. But, but to your point, you are making a good point, which is I, I devote my entire energy, attention, uh, resources, and, and content for one niche audience, which is the legal community. So, so yeah, ultimately, if you're consistent over a decade doing that, like I've tried to be, you're going to have at least some people paying attention to you. And that's the idea. And because if I was to start, you know, it's oftentimes I think, well, um, you know, most of my content is relevant to people outside the legal space. It's probably just as relative, relevant to the management consulting community, um, other forms of consulting, accountants, other professional services providers. But, you know, I just think that when you're, when you're trying to really attract an audience and gain a following and, and be able to grab people's attention. If you can speak directly to them and describe and make them feel like you're telling stories and, and sharing ideas just for them, you're gonna have a much easier time gaining that following. No, I totally agree. So I want to, I guess let's sort of go in chronological order. So somebody wakes up and they're like, boom, I wanna be a thought leader in this niche you know, what, what sort of information or advice do you want to give somebody who's at that stage of the process? Okay. Yeah. That's a great idea. So yeah, let's say you, let's say you want to create, let's pick something specific. What do you think? Um, architects, dentists, let's just pick like a, a, a particular niche that someone might want to be focused on from a content creation or thought leadership standpoint. I mean, you want to do lawyer? That's your niche. That's my niche. So sure. Sure. That might be easiest. Um, so let's do that. So, I mean, I'll talk about my approach. So what, if I was if I was starting from scratch, what I would do is to say, okay, I know I want to focus on the legal community. I'd probably niche down further from there. I'd say, am I trying to reach those in private practice? And if so, am I talking to more of a you know perhaps a, a mid-sized to larger firm attorney or the small firm to solo practice community? Because it's a little different, right? I've been in both. I was I worked at very big firms and I had a small firm of my own. And running a, law, a small law firm is far different than being a, an associate or a partner in a, in a big, big law firm. Um, so it's like so everything's on fire and you're the only one with a fire extinguisher. Completely. I had, you know, when I think about when I ran my practice, just like you, Jordan, I mean, HR issues, you know, payroll issues, re you know, all the stuff that goes with running a practice. So I would probably make that distinction um, in terms of how I was thinking about creating content. 
Um, next, I would try to understand, okay, where does this target market, this audience of mine, spend their time and attention? So what are they reading? What social media channels are they on? What conferences do they attend? What associations are they members of? You know, all of these things where it's like, where can I get in front of my audience? And more importantly, how can I join the conversation that's happening within that market? So I would, I would study those issues and I would have a clear understanding of, again, where is my audience spending their time and attention? And then I would dive into that. I would th start thinking about what are the challenges, questions, pain points that that audience is, is um, grappling with. So in this case, you know, for talking about the legal industry and marketing and business development related issues um, concerning that marketplace, I would start to drill down on, you know, what are those burning questions and how can I start to address them through my content? That might require research. It might require having conversations with those in that marketplace to understand what those questions are. Um, and, you know, this, this sort of process of thinking about, um, you know, first market definition, identifying the, I like to call them water coolers around those in the market, gather um, and have and, and start to converse. And then what are the burning questions that I can address in my content that's going to make it resonant with my audience? That would be the first three stages of getting started. So when you're saying water cooler, I mean, are we talking like a, a group on Facebook versus LinkedIn, like the, the where these people are at scale? Yeah, I mean, it's basically it's a it's a it's a you know I'm using water cooler as a metaphor for like where are people gathering and having conversations. So that might be LinkedIn, it might be Facebook, it might be the annual conference that you're attending, it might be making sure you're appearing in the trade journal that all of these people are reading. Whatever wherever that conversation is occurring, I would want to get myself immersed within it. And by doing that, what that allows you to do is start to be seen as someone who's a trusted insider, you know, as opposed to someone who's just trying to target that market with, you know, marketing messages, aggressively, you know, advertising to it, but rather you're seen as a helpful resource for those people such that they welcome you into that conversation. I mean, and that's one, that's a fine line. And two, I mean, almost everything you talked about is the same thing I would say to a law firm starting their marketing plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, in essence, you know, you're trying to identify your who and you're trying to identify your where, and then, you know, it's going to be a question of how. Right. Yeah. And the how comes down to basically, are you going to try to buy attention? Or are you going to try to earn it? And that's where, you know, thought leadership is all about earning attention. It's not to say that there's not a place for buying attention. You know, we, we advocate, you know, different paid campaigns on behalf of our clients all the time. But, you know, if you're thinking of yourself as a, as an individual lawyer who wants to play the long game when it comes to, you know, marketing and, and thinking about the compounding returns on your marketing effort, certainly at least having some component of thought leadership marketing in the mix such that you're building your personal brand and people can find you and you're highly visible in the digital domain, then I think that's worth the effort. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so before we shift into sort of the during the journey, so this was sort of the, you know, planning for the journey, anything else we need to cover in that stage? I mean, I think those are the big categories of information. I mean, again, think narrow, really understand who your target audience is, understand where they're spending their time and attention and try to have a clear understanding of what are the, what are the trending issues, the, the, the important issues that they're facing such that you can address them through your content. All right. So now, you know, we came up with our idea to do it. We've got our group, you know, we want to target lawyers. We're walking down that path. You know, we decide, let's say it's LinkedIn. Um, I'm assuming patience and consistency 
will be huge yep. things to talk about. So what, what are the tips and tricks during the doing of the becoming a thought leader? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first uh, it's important to understand like how are you gonna, when we're thinking about the how, um, how are you gonna start creating and delivering content? There's different ways to do it as we talked about. Um, and so you can create audio content, you can write, you can create video content, you can do all of the above, um, but, and, and sometimes that's advisable, but I would say, keep it simple. Um, try, to, try to spend your time doing something that you feel like you have aptitude for, that you enjoy doing. Any, any form of content that I describe will work. It doesn't really matter, um, but it, what matters is that you, it's something you can keep up with. Because as you said, Jordan, consistency is, is critical here. And consistency both in terms of having a clear point of view and also expressing that view on a regular basis. So you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, um, you know, thought leadership marketing works best when it's done on that consistent basis where you're continuing to stay top of mind in front of your audience. The whole purpose here is to be in a position where you don't have to feel like you're always selling in the traditional sense of the word, but rather you're showing up in a way that your prospective clients see as value added. And as a result of that, because business development, legal uh, engagement opportunities are unpredictable, it's hard to know when a litigation matter is going to come up that for one of your prospective clients. and. Um, but by being top of mind, like posting on LinkedIn consistently or Facebook or wherever your target market spends their time and attention, um, you know, you'll naturally be thought of as the person who can help address that opportunity when it, when it does in fact arise. Um, so that consistency is key and, and making sure that you're doing something that you have aptitude for and you enjoy will make it more likely that you are consistent. So I think that's, that's really important. Um, and then, I mean, there's all kinds Can of- Can I jump other... in for a second before yeah, you go please to- do, Please do. So I, I get what you're saying and I'm curious, like how much of a role does the audience's consumption habits come into that? Because obviously like I a hundred percent agree with you. You know, if you hate doing video, probably video is not the thing for you. If you, you know, if you like speaking a podcast or clubhouse or something like that might be better, but how much of a, how much weight do you have to give to your audience's consumption habits? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think you do have to take that new account. I mean, I don't. I don't give as much weight to the idea that you know, there's these all these demographic differences that lead to you know the the need to create one form of content for one audience over another. You know what I mean? I don't. I haven't seen that necessarily. I mean, I, people still read. Um, they might read. They might be more likely to read you know short content versus long form content, um, but. There's, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen too many target market audiences that where where I've advised clients like, oh, it's definitely audio for this mar for this market. That's all they do. Um, they don't read. I, so I don't know. And maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. But I'm not as big of a proponent of of really saying you should that that it's more important um, to have an understanding of your clients' audience or your your audience's uh, content consumption habits versus your own preferences and strengths as it relates to content creation. Cause I think there's a place for all forms of content for every audience. Yeah, I guess. Do you, so, do you think differently? Um, well, so that, that's my follow-up question. Cause that, that's yeah. my point. Like the reason that we do this on Facebook live is mm -hmm. I'm going to rip the audio and turn this into a podcast. We're going to cut the video up for shorter social media consumption in 30, 60 second, two minute clips. People have the full show live. You know, they can drop comments in here and interact with us at the same basis. 
we can take some of these longer ideas, pull the transcript from Rev or Otter, turn those into blog posts. Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, to me, I don't see the downside of being able to repurpose into four or five different ways with the content that you're doing. And so I don't know if you agree with that or not. I absolutely agree with that. And that's a great point. And I mean, I, I do that as well. So I, the way I think about my content is LinkedIn is almost always the starting point. Um, and I know we're going to get into LinkedIn in more detail shortly, but LinkedIn's always a starting point. To me, it's the place that I use as a testing ground for ideas, right? Um, you don't have to, in, you have to invest a lot to write, say, a 1500 word article on a topic. And it's, that's a big investment to make without having a clear understanding of whether those ideas are resonant with your audience. Um, it's better to write a 200 word LinkedIn post, get some actual market feedback in terms of are people reacting well to that content or that idea. And then if, it, and if that's the case, then that's a great um, signal that that may be a piece of content to build out into longer form. And then I do the same thing. If, if I write an article about something, um, even if I don't, I often will use LinkedIn posts as a way to create um, ideas for podcast content. So me and my uh, co-host will do a, a podcast episode about it. So yes, taking an idea, thinking of, of content creation around ideas as opposed to, you know, particular um, means of uh, or mediums of content is the way to start. And then take those ideas and, and yeah, by all means, put them in different forms of content, audio, video, written word. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I... I, this is, this is the thing that I always struggle with when it comes to marketing. Like there isn't that moment when like an angel comes down and says, Hey, congratulations. You're now a thought leader. Like, yep. how do you know, how do you know that, that you're even getting closer, let alone knowing that you're there? What are some of the signs that you're going to see during this journey? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the obvious, most measurable ones would be, you know, assuming you are active, you, you, you're, you're creating content and you're either creating content directly on social media or you're, you're sharing content into social media, um, you, know, you should be seeing follower growth, right? I mean, that, that would be one clear sign. If your audience isn't growing in some way as measured by your, your network growth, um, that's probably a sign that your ideas aren't landing particularly well and maybe you need to rethink things a little bit. Um, so that there are these near-term sort of leading indicators like audience growth, reaction to the content that you're creating and sharing. Uh, just th then there's, those are very measurable. And then there's other things like, are you getting, you know, are you getting inbound opportunities to like appear on podcast episodes mm -hmm. or um, webinars or because people, I, 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 I always like to say that, you know, the, the, opportunities for marketing that you'll generate off of social media will oftentimes be as a result of your activity on social media because the gatekeepers to those opportunities are looking for people who they perceive as thought leaders or have interesting ideas to invite to invite on their platforms and so if you're if your ideas are resonating you'll probably start to experience some of those inbound opportunities for off social media marketing um, and th those are all leading indicators as to whether you're thought leadership is working. And then the big lagging indicator is you should start to probably be getting new business opportunities out of it. Again, inbound opportunities. So people who, you know, th th there's, there's, a, there's two objectives to thought leadership. One is to generate awareness about yourself and your ideas. And that is reflected in things like your audience is growing. And then it's also to build trust, um, trust that you're the expert for the job. And that is reflected oftentimes in you're getting more new business and referral opportunities from, from 
the work you're putting in to share your ideas because people are coming to trust that you're the right expert for the job over time. So, and I don't know if, I'm just gonna ask the question now instead of saving it for later. So you're talking about that that audience growth, and I think that is also a growth of engagement as well. I mean, hopefully, yeah. as you go from a thousand followers to five thousand followers, your comments go from ten to fifty, or you know, whatever it is. Exactly. It, there, I don't think there's a right growth number over time, right? I mean, that's more yeah. okay. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there is the case. That's the case at all because it's all it all ties back to you know the 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 aggregate size of your network or your audience matters far less than the composition of that audience, right? I'd rather, much rather have a, uh, a network of 2000 highly engaged people who are decision makers than I would have rather have, you know, 20,000 followers, most of which can have no impact whatsoever on my business. So give me a small audience that is highly impactful and is the, of the right composition over a big audience any day. And, and by, you know, if, if that's the audience you're targeting, like those, those high-end decision makers, well, your audience is going to grow more slowly, but each person you add to that audience could have a bigger impact on, on your success. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't remember where I saw this, but something was like, you know, if your average, um, if your average sales thing is $10,000 and you add, you know, one person a month, and who ends up hiring you, you know, you're looking at whatever that is 120,000. Whereas if you add, you know, a million followers that never buy from you, that's $0. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it, it sort of relates, have you heard the, you probably heard of the Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans sort of yeah. methodology, right? So the idea that you get to that, it, the whole point of that is you wanna, if you get to the point where you have a, a thousand true fans and what he's defining as a true fan would be someone who's actually buying from you, right? Um, you don't need you don't need a hundred thousand true fans. You just need a thousand, and you can make a good living. Um, and so that is done by you know being really again being having a sort of a minimum viable audience, as Seth Godin puts it, and really appealing to them in a way that someone who isn't speaking directly to that audience can't. Which is it's just like it's amazing to me that in essence you are like democratizing your knowledge base in exchange for the support and relationship of those who find value who found so much free value in so much of what you did that they're willing to pay that back into you know paid opportunities yeah yeah exactly i mean that's that's the reciprocity that you're hoping for but you do have to go into this sort of with a belief that that will come but not fixating on the outcome because it will take time you know it doesn't happen overnight um, so you have to be willing to give a lot of value before ever really having an expectation or uh, of reciprocity from your audience. I mean, I think Gary Vee refers to it as what, what uh, jab, 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 right hook, right? You gotta throw yeah. a lot of jabs before you can expect, you know, to get much from, from what you're doing. But but there's a long tail to this, right? I mean, it's what, what you're trying to do um, is create a body of work that makes you visible. Um, and especially if you're looking to like scale your practice or or, you know, move beyond your immediate geographic limitations or, or boundaries. Um, if you can become a thought leader, there's no reason, you know, assuming your licensing and, and ethical rules and jurisdictional uh, limitations will allow your practice to travel beyond borders. There's nothing stopping lawyers who don't have those limitations from building a national practice because they're starting to be seen as, as you know, high valued experts in niche domains who are relevant to everyone everywhere, especially in this time where, again, geography matters far less than it used to.
Yeah, and I just I love that you use the uh, the the jab jab right hook because I think a lot of people like the more you jab, the less money you make tomorrow, but the more money you make in the long term. The more you right hook, the more you make money now, but the less you make in the long run because you're just constantly trying to make it clear that you're monetizing the audience. Right, and you lose trust, or you never get it in the first place, and and that's you know you might you, like you said you might be able to to you know shake a few dollars out of the tree today, but um, you won't have an audience that trusts you for the long term. So what other insight or wisdom do you have for people as they're continuing down that journey to become a thought leader or to maintain being a thought leader? Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, you know, as we were just talking about is you've got to, you've got to be going into this with the long-term mindset that, you know, this is going to, this is not going to happen overnight. Um, this is something you're going to have to put consistent effort into, and you're going to really have to be, you know, get, looking at this as if it's something that is part of your daily practice, right? Where um, you're investing in uh, yourself and you're investing in your, the future of your practice. Um, so I would, you know, I would, I would understand that it's a, it's definitely a, a journey that you've got to travel, um, and it won't happen overnight. So, so that's something big. And then I would say too, um, don't overlook things like. Uh, you know the ability to collaborate in the in thought leadership content. You don't necessarily need to do it all yourself. Like it's a great way to network with other people. Whether that's having a podcast and inviting people who you wouldn't otherwise be able to reach and connect with to be be guests on your show. Don't overlook that opportunity. Oftentimes you can get a prospective client to come on your podcast in a way that um, you would never be able to do if you're just inviting them out for lunch or something like that. Um, so do that. And then also, um, I think it's important to have a platform somewhere where you can send people back to that might be your website, you might be directing them to your LinkedIn page, um, or, or whatever your whatever your platform is. But don't feel like you need to invest in building platforms that are that are uniquely your own for all forms of content that you're creating. Like, for example, you don't need to have a podcast to get the benefits of podcasting. Um, there are a lot of podcasters out there who would love to have you on as a guest, for example, if you have something interesting to say. So leverage their audiences. You know, use these arbitrage principles where it's like you can, you don't need to, you know, think about. You can leverage other people's audiences in a way that uh, will allow you to reach way more people in your target audience way faster than you could ever do yourself if you were trying to build a platform from scratch. So try to instead of maybe having a blog or supplementary to having your own blog. Look for publishing opportunities in well-regarded, well-respected, well-read publications that, you know, that are the, 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 again, getting back to this idea of water coolers that are part of the water cooler of the target market that you're trying to seek. So I think those are big things to think about is you don't have to build everything on your own, collaborate with people, find and leverage the audiences that other people have built in your target market. Well, and I, I got to take my hat off to you because I think the first time I came across you, if not one of the early times, was you and Steve Retson did a joint podcast. And the two of you, in essence, you know, work with very similar clients. And I think you and I work with very similar clients. Mm -hmm. And But I just, I love the way you guys did the uh, the Dueling Banjos podcast. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting to see people that should be competitors agreeing because everybody's saying the right stuff and really inaction is often our biggest comp competition. Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you, you, when we think about a market that we serve, um, if there's no competitors in that market, that gives that's a big red flag for me. Um, I think you want a certain number of competitors. So when you're thinking about what niche to define 
for your thought leadership or for your practice. You want competitors because then you know it's a there's there's actually business to be had in that marketplace. Perhaps not too many, uh, but at least some number of them. And then the pie is almost always big enough, and you can help you can grow it together. Um, so yeah, I think that and that's actually a really good point, Jordan, because you know that's that's another component of becoming a thought leader is having that abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset where there's enough for all of us and we can all grow this pie together if we work together and share ideas freely. Um, and if you have that scarcity mindset thinking that, oh, if you share your ideas, someone will steal them. Or, you know, if you if you go on someone else's show, then you're just promoting their services over your own. Well, I, I've, that's never been my experience. And I've always found that, you know, being very abundant with ideas and, and time and that kind of thing is always, uh, always redounded to my benefit. And I think other people's as well. Makes subtle sense. All right. So now we're getting to the Jordan Ostroff selfish hour of this conversation. <laughs> uh, we're talking about LinkedIn tips. So before we get into this, um, I want to kind of go through the methodology of why LinkedIn from the standpoint of that water cooler, you know, why, why is LinkedIn the right water cooler for you so that other attorneys can help decide if that's the right place for them? Okay. Well, so again, my, my target audience is, is the legal community. And for me, um, LinkedIn is the place that aligns with my target audience. So lawyers, as well as my um, content topics, which is legal marketing and business development. So um, those are, you know, I, I know that I have people who um, are interested in those topics on that platform. And so for me, it's the right place to be. Um, and I think that's, you know, you use that calculus. So for other people, you know, if I was a, if I was an attorney who was, uh, who had legal services, maybe in an IP practice that focused on like representing photographers or other creative artists, it might be Instagram. Um, it just depends on where your audience is and the type of content that they're consuming. So that's, that's why LinkedIn is for me. Yeah. And so I just, I want to give a couple examples just to help people here. So Business law attorney looking for small to medium sized business owners. I think LinkedIn's great. You know, criminal defense attorney looking for people that just got into, you know, just got arrested by the police. Probably not LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I love trademark and, uh, you know, trademarks and patents and stuff. I think that's so true because you have that kind of that two way, you know, if I'm dealing with the older school company, they're going to be on LinkedIn. If I'm dealing with the newer school company, the more creative, probably Instagram. So I just, right. I love I love that as a really good example of people. So by that token, there are certain attorneys that have no business being on LinkedIn other than to get great ideas from people like you mm -hmm. um, from there and not so much looking at LinkedIn as a way for them to get clients. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only reason I would say that that may still be a reason for them to be on there, Jordan, would be, you know, other lawyers obviously are a source of new business. So, I mean, for referral relationships, that might be a good spot to be, or even for recruiting employees, that kind of thing. So at least having a presence there to the extent that referrals are important to your business or potentially recruiting for new talent, um, that those might be two reasons, but, but you're right in the sense that depending on your practice, probably the end client might not be there um, ultimately. Yeah, and that's such a strong distinction. So I, th I think the easiest example then is like personal injury. You know, you may not find clients on there, but doctors, orthos, chiropractors, primary care physicians, yeah. you know, you may be able to engage with them at scale on LinkedIn. For sure. Right. So yeah, think about what is your intention? Like what's your goal with, the, with respect to each social media platform? I mean, in an ideal world, you don't have to be on more than one because I mean, I find I've, I've sort of just gone all in on LinkedIn because I can't really 
I can't really figure out some of the other ones. And, and I don't know, I just get, it's, to me, it's a distraction, but it, your business goals might need, it, it might require you to be on more than one platform. So I think you should just think strategically and purposefully about that. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, I'm, I'm Facebook, LinkedIn, and then repurposing. Mm-hmm. And actually I do a lot on TikTok now, but that's me and my three-year-old telling bad dad jokes <laughs> to each other. So nice. it's, a, it's a much different, uh, game plan over there. So, yeah. I mean, look, I, I have followed your stuff well enough to know that we could talk about your LinkedIn tips for easily over an hour. I just, I think the stuff that you post is so genuine and engaging and insightful and helpful all while not being too wordy. Um, so how do, how do you get to that? What are some of the tips, you know, what, what would be the biggest piece of advice you have for people on LinkedIn to grow that following? Yeah. Um, well, let's see biggest tips. I mean, one, <laughs> you know, like me, maybe spend 10 years creating content elsewhere until you really figured it out. And then, you know, with all that practice, apply that to LinkedIn. But barring, barring that, um, you know, I do think there's a few principles to be thinking about here. One is this idea of consistency. Um, it's you don't need to be spending a ton of time on LinkedIn. But if you're going to be there and you want to be perceived as a thought leader and really you know, grow your network and start to see results from that, the consistency of effort is is definitely key. And then again, getting back to this idea of like know what you're doing there. I like I like to think of um, you know having a couple content pillars. So what are the core ideas that you're creating content around? And then staying in that lane as much as possible. It doesn't mean that you can't ever deviate from it, but you want people to come to expect come to expect something from you so you can meet that expectation. So I, I try not, I mean, I'm generally writing about LinkedIn tips, marketing and, and business development issues. Sometimes I deviate a little bit out of that, but I, I find that, you know, if I'm staying in that lane, um, my audience has an expectation around that. Um, they they will, you know, generally read my content and react well to it. If I was always bouncing around quite a bit, I, I wouldn't really be able to gain traction, maybe the way that, um, that I would otherwise. And I think, so I think that's important. Um, I think that you should be thinking in terms of um, maybe having a mix of things where you have, you're sharing some subject matter expertise around what you do, and then also injecting some personality into your content as well. Um, So I think that's important. So it doesn't mean you're just always sharing ideas about, you know, the legal issues that you're addressing, but rather showing some of your humanity and, and personality in your content as well, because, you know, it, I think it's, it's cliche, but, you know, people hire the lawyer and not the law firm, but just because it's cliche doesn't mean it's true. So I think people like to get to know who they're dealing with or potentially dealing with through their content. So, so having that mix, even, in, even on LinkedIn, which of course is a, is a professional social media platform, as they say, a professional network, um, but still showing some of your human side um, in the process is, is important in, in terms of, um, in terms of building your brand and, and gaining attention on the platform. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I see Jordan, what most lawyers make or many lawyers make, especially as you're getting started with getting active on LinkedIn is, is a, a belief that LinkedIn is a link sharing platform, um, first and foremost. And what I mean by that is, they're using it as a way to market or promote content they've written elsewhere um, and sharing it and sharing links to that content, whether it's on their blog or their website um, on LinkedIn. And that's all well and good, but LinkedIn, like other social media platforms, 
they don't want people to leave LinkedIn. So they don't give distribution to that content the way that they do if you're creating content that lives natively on the platform. So you're writing a text post. Um, we, we exchanged uh, comments yesterday about how terrible the LinkedIn article uh, platform is. Awful. It's the worst. So to me, the best, the best way to leverage LinkedIn is to just simply write just good old fashioned text posts, the 1300 character limited posts that you can write right in the feed um, because that's what LinkedIn is giving distribution to and why fight the algorithm. Um, so going, going from the mindset that LinkedIn is a place where you share content from your blog to starting to think about it as your blog is a big mindset shift that can really change your results and your trajectory on the platform. Yeah, I um, I can't believe that was only yesterday. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. thinking about that as you were talking about it. So, yeah. I, let me let me flip the question a little bit more specific. Then, how much of your of your time on LinkedIn is you writing these text posts versus engaging with the comments back versus engaging with other people's posts? Um, I would say it is. Um, I would say it's seventy five writing. I would say it's uh, 10, <laughs> I'm going to do the math here, 15 engaging in comments to my posts and probably 10 engaging with other people's posts. Now, I'm just trying to be honest. Um, I don't think it, I think it should be different than that. Like it, it would be more effective if I was spending more time engaging with other people's content, but I just have to limit myself in terms of the amount of time I feel like I can spend. And it seems to be working okay, but I know I could, I know I could probably have more success if I was spending more time engaging with other people's content. So I try to do that, but I, I, I want to be doing more of it. But I, I do focus most of my time on, on creating the content. So, so let's say I probably spend an hour a day investing in LinkedIn. So that's kind of how it breaks down. Um, sometimes it's quicker. I, I, I do try to do things like batch, po uh, batch write content for LinkedIn because um, I'm posting there every day and that can be a lot. Um, but if I, you know, if I allocate 90 minutes, I can usually knock out like five posts in that five or more posts in that 90 minute period. Whereas if I just sit down cold to write a single post, that might take me 45 minutes in some instances, depending on what I'm writing about. You know how it goes. I mean, you write too, Jordan, obviously. Sometimes they just pour out of you and sometimes it's like a, a mighty struggle. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of how it breaks down. But I do think that for people who are just getting started, they should be investing more time in that engagement piece, almost flipping that equation where they're, they're popping up on other people's feeds through comments, through reacting to people's content. That'll help them build an audience and also observe what's working for other people such that right. they can apply some of those same principles. So I want to get on a soapbox then about that point because I totally agree with you. Yeah. So the two parts of my soapbox... One, the LinkedIn headline, I think, is the most powerful tool across any social media platform. Mm -hmm. Two, nobody cares that you are attorney at law firm name. Please, dear God, do not let that be your headline. Please, dear God, because what Jay just said is so true. When you're first starting on LinkedIn and you comment on, I mean, you can comment on Gary Vee's post. You can comment on Simon Sinek. You can comment on, you know, uh, any John Morgan, whoever yeah. else you want. But I swear to God, if your headline just says attorney of blah, 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 like there's not going to be anything that comes from that. If you really focus on who you help and how you help them or something along those lines, yep. you're going to be able to draw thousands of eyeballs on other people's posts that see your face, see your name and see what you actually do. 
because I'm, I'm right there with you, Jay. I mean, I, you know, I, everybody that I talk to who's not getting enough out of LinkedIn, it's because they're writing too much and not engaging enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's about observing. Like I, you know, I didn't. There were a lot of stuff I didn't know. This is I my my activity on LinkedIn has only really been, you know, in the last year, even less than that. I mean, I was always on LinkedIn, but I was using it wrong, and and then I started paying attention, and then then it started clicking. I was just like, oh, it, and then it seemed obvious as to what you needed to do. Um, but you know, if I had just been getting in, sharing links to content, getting out, and not really trying to follow and watch what people who clearly had gotten it before me had been doing, I still would have been doing the wrong things. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. The, the LinkedIn headline is key to that because it immediately allows people to understand at a glance you know, exactly what it should, what value you can deliver and what you do. Yeah, and along along those lines, so what I always tell people, and, and let me know if you have a different view, mm-hmm. like you obviously, you know, follow these people with 100,000 plus followers, but you're not going to be replicating what they do. You're going to replicate the things done by people with, th- with three to 5,000 followers. And then as you get closer to that, then you want to replicate what's being done at the people 7,500 to 10,000 followers. And you want to keep staying, you know, that one or two levels behind in mm-hmm. terms of like specific tactics that you're copying. Are you with me on that one? Yeah, I am. And I, frankly, like I feel, I feel that, um, I feel like the people with 100,000 plus followers oftentimes have the worst content. Uh, you know what, I don't know if you agree with this, but it, I feel like it sometimes can get lazy, right? Where you have that big of an audience, anything you write, it's just sort of fanboy reaction effect to that content. So you see a lot of the, hey, you know, uh, Drop your drop your name in the comments, or you know, just like they they start to have these posts where it's it's not really adding value anymore. It's just about creating churn of and everyone's reacting, trying to be the first into the comments. So I do like to I like to follow the people who are clearly like putting effort in, you know, yeah, like a s- smaller follower count who are really hustling and trying to bring value to the content they're creating. And to me, that's interesting. And if you if you can sustain that. Um, because I bet you most of those people that are, have those super high follower counts, there's one of three reasons. A, they're famous. B, uh, they got lucky in the sense that, you know, sometimes they, well, lucky is probably the wrong word, but um, let's just say maybe they were early. You know, they've been on LinkedIn creating content for a long time and they just had the first mover advantage. Or or C, it could be, it could be luck, like meaning they could have had a massive viral post that they were, allowed them to add 20,000 followers like over a course of a week. And that happens. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best content creators that you should be mimicking. But so to your point, you should be following to me, you know, the people who are, are growing their network, who are consistent, who are, who are intriguing, who are sharing, um, you know, these interesting ideas on the platform, but don't necessarily have, you know, massive followings because, someone might be doing it for those people anyway. You find that to be the case too, where there's, once you get to a certain point of, of followers on the platform, I feel like oftentimes it may not even be the person who's, you know, who's, who's got the account that's actually creating most of the content. Makes total sense. All right, so as we reach the end, any other insider wisdom on the LinkedIn tips you wanna make sure that we share? Um, you know, I think just a focus on uh, both creating content engaging with other people's content and then having a kind of an intentional network building strategy and what round what you're doing too, because it's great. You will is the more content you create, the more content you engage with on other people's um, threads, you'll get inbound connection requests, but 
don't overlook the work that you want to do to, to build your own network as well. And, and you be mindful of the composition of the network you want to create, because the more people you add to your network from your niche around the content ideas that you're sharing, the more that audience is going to find that content relevant, react to it. You'll create this positive flywheel effect around your content, the more densely populated with your target audience, your network is. So I'd say that's one big, um, one big factor that people should be thinking about. Makes perfect sense. I just, I love the power of the algorithm to get you in front of the right people and get the right eyeballs on your stuff in both directions. For sure. Yep. So, all right. So for all of our fans of the show, uh, we had a swap on Monday, so it will not be Colin Levy. Instead of Monday, we're going to have BJ Bernstein. BJ is going to come to talk to us about Zoom advocacy. So she's going to share some tips and tricks on how you can be the most engaging and persuasive lawyer you can be while we remain stuck behind a screen for better or worse, depending upon your own personal feelings on a, on virtual court, remote court. I don't know how to phrase that correctly. So, but I am not going to let Jay go without one more thing. So Jay, this is exhibit a attorneys where we talk about what it takes to truly be the exhibit a of a successful attorney. So if somebody's listened to this for the last, oh, I don't know, 55 minutes, and they take nothing else from this, but what you're about to share here right now, what is the biggest takeaway to turn people into successful lawyers? Well, uh, I would say what I, what I optimized for when I was practicing law was autonomy more than anything. I found that autonomy, the ability to have control, more control over my circumstances was the number one factor in my career satisfaction and my personal happiness. So um, if I'm to share you know, what, what really mattered to me, and I think there's a bunch of studies that suggest that autonomy is the thing that brings us the most happiness, not money, not uh, you know, status, autonomy is, is key. Um, to me, that's all about building a practice. Um, you know, having clients of your own. So you're not beholden to colleagues who have their own books of business and you're just, you know, a service lawyer um, serving someone other, someone else's priorities. So my big tip would be, if you're going to, if you're going to optimize for that, you need to start treating yourself as your own most important client. And as Charlie Munger once said, you need to start selling yourself one hour of your time each day to work on things like marketing and business development. Um, you need to block time on your calendar and start, you know, f start serving your own priorities and not just your client priorities that 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 need to be um, handled. But you should take care of your own priorities first and sell yourself that hour each day for marketing and business development. Such such a great and such a small commitment that compounds over time very quickly. Totally. All right, yeah. so so I've got hcommunications.biz. I've got your LinkedIn link here. We've got Harrington Communications LinkedIn page. We've got productivitypivot.com. How do people get more in touch with you? How do they keep in the thought leadership circle of Jay Harrington? I mean, I would say um, certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where you know I'm generally sharing everything that I'm creating. Um, yeah, we do have a, uh, we do put out weekly blog posts and have a newsletter. If you go to my website, you can, you can actually download, we have a new uh, download available that has some really good LinkedIn tips in it, I think. Um, and then the only other thing I'd mentioned, Jordan, was I, I do have a podcast called The Thought Leadership Project, um, where we put out weekly episodes on types of topics we talked about today. So that'd be another place to follow me. Fantastic. Uh, Breezy, do you have the link for Jay's podcast? 
No. All right. So we will get that after we cut this feed and we'll make sure that that is a comment on this podcast as well. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jordan, it was great. I uh, look forward to connecting with you off of LinkedIn again sometime. Maybe I'll have you on my podcast if you're up for it. I, absolutely. Anytime. We can uh, merge ecosystems in that direction. Perfect. Down. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at legalesemarketing.com, E-A-S-E.